Hello and welcome to episode 236 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. And we have no Kevin. Yeah, I, I was kind of waiting for the... I'm Kevin. Yeah, it's... I mean, what a way to celebrate his one-year anniversary month as, like, third chair is to just not be here. But no, he uh, was doing a 24-hour live stream because he was dared to do it. And, you know, when you're dared, you have to stop podcasting and start live streaming. That's just how it goes. Definitely I get a very... It. It's a valid excuse to to miss the podcast. I mean, literally twenty four hours of playing games straight. Like even I haven't done that. That is nuts. Yeah. So and, I, entertaining I like an audience, even like, I even I have my limits. Oh yeah. I mean, I even me for I know like I've, at most I've maybe played like thirteen hours straight or something like that. But yeah, never twenty four hours. And not to mention, he also has an audience, so he kind of has to stay, you know, on. Right. It's not like you could just kind of like sink into your. So far, whatever. Or be in like some so. sort of half days where you're just hitting A repeatedly and you're not actually playing, but you say you're playing. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, so, so, he definitely so it's understandable. Dead but right now, but yeah. He's here in spirit. Um, I kind of wanted to make a soundboard and I was going to do all the Kevinisms from the past year of him being third chair. And then I realized there's only one Kevinism really that he does, which is the um, Persona one that he, uh, you know, the. Yeah, baby, soundboard? I love Persona or whatever it is. That's the only one he does. So I realized if we had a soundboard, we could That's the only. He's done it like a dozen times. But really? um, wait, like what exactly? Like yeah, yeah baby, persona? love Persona. Anytime you say Persona. Wait, yeah, baby. Yeah, every time. Oh, he does say yeah, baby. Yeah, baby, love Persona with the love like that. But so I was gonna hunt it down and do it until I realized we don't ever say persona this episode i mean now we will have triggered it like six <laughs> times but we don't actually have persona to talk about so <laughs> persona more times in this episode than any other now <laughs> so i guess i should have made the soundboard um yeah yeah well sorry sorry to all the kevin fans out there for not only not having him but not having his voice on loop on demand but uh yeah we're calling this episode the kind of old school around nintendo it's just me and angel um Indie World Tour because, uh, you know, after the recent Indie World Showcase, uh, there's a lot of cool-looking games to talk about, and uh, we're also – literally one of the games is from like halfway around the world, India. So we'll be sharing impressions of uh, Raji and Ancient Epic. Uh, but that's not the only presentation there is to talk about. We've also got thoughts on the second Nintendo Direct Mini Partner Showcase, uh, which did seem to kind of be tweaked based on fan feedback, so that was kind of nice to see. Uh, and some of the games like Puyo Puyo Tetris 2 we'll be talking about. Um, plus we've got news from uh, – or well – just a discussion, really, of Gamescom happening right now. Uh, and there's credible reports about a Switch hardware revision, uh, actual real reports, not the rumor mill, um, and impressions maybe, depending on time, of some other stuff. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a pretty game-heavy show, so much so that it almost feels like maybe we just don't do the usual um, what we're playing segment and just go presentation by presentation and kind of talk about the games throughout uh, and what we've been playing throughout. Uh, and even then, we're not going to cover every single game. It's like 40 games or something. So uh, we're just going to hide the ones that st- stuck out to us. So m- maybe now more than ever, the timestamps at ramtown.com uh, or under this video, if you're on our ramtown.com YouTube channel, those are going to come in handy. Um, but yeah, I guess, Angel, if you're right, let's, let's kick it off with the first presentation, um, which was also the first presentation the first sequentially presentation. oh they're the indie showcase yeah the indie the late uh yeah the indie world showcase uh which i at least thought had quite a nice variety of games like we're used to seeing the artsy indie platformers and those are there and you know they look good i might add you know like ever evergate looks nice but there were a lot of very different ideas different games different styles what what did you think of the showcase like overall 
Um, I like the variety. The variety. The variety. Um, I know the last time we talked about an indie showcase or something, mm-hmm. I was kind of, I think we, one of our talking points was just how we were looking for, or maybe me specifically, just like new, very different art styles. Just like a new, you know, just new interpretation, new, just new way to play games. And I feel like this showcase definitely delivered on that. There were just a lot of different art styles. There weren't all pixel 2D platformers. There weren't all like top down. Like there was just, it felt like there was a little bit of everything and definitely like something for everybody. Like I love the, there's that one game that's like half stop motion, half kind of uh, clean flash animated. Takeshi and Hiroshi, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like Manifold Garden that has a very interesting like vector, like see-through art layout and yeah there's others like you know like hyperspace outlaw that just looks like a 90s internet browser so it, it was really cool and then there was that game that looked like uh i mean i don't want to say like a like a hori knockoff but um i mean ori but yeah that, that was evergate yeah 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 but, i mean even then like i mean if you're gonna knock off a game i mean Ori's not a bad one to knock off no, there's but, there's definitely, and then you had some like totally out of left field ones, like a management game, but you're a bear managing a bed and breakfast. Yeah, bear, bear and breakfast. Which, by the way, yeah, how bear. many of these games do you think they come up with the title and then build the game around versus the other way around? Like bear and breakfast is just a really good name. Like, do you think someone's saying you're like, what if I can't call bear I and breakfast? It, I could see it coming out either way. Like someone just randomly saying the name, like, you know what? Let's make a game out of that. Or someone just has a good idea for a B and B kind of game, and they're like. You know what? If it's going to be an indie game, it has to have some quirky twist. All right, it's going to be managed by a bear. Yeah, or or they, uh, yeah, actually, that's what I was about to say. Is it probably is something like where they had the idea of the game? They're like, well, "What's the star going to be?" And then they come up with the marketing angle and go, "Make it a bear," and then they kind yeah. of retroactively apply it. But you did mention one game that I guess we could start with, just because you already said it. Alliteration. Oh, it's it's money. it's beautiful. Yes, it's it's perfect in every naming way. As a word, as a fan of wordplay. I'm very on board with it. Um, but yeah, let's talk about a game that you already brought up. Um, why don't we start with some – because we're just going to run through a few of our favorites, right? So how about we talk about Hypnospace Outlaw, um, which, like yes. you said, has a crazy 90s aesthetic, to put it lightly. So I haven't played it yet, and I know there's a demo for it. But yeah. like it was definitely probably one of the ones that stuck out with me the most. Not because it's a kind of game that I would like be crazy about playing. Um it just looked really interesting. Like the fact that you're, I guess you're just browsing the web trying to catch like hackers and people planting viruses and I guess yeah. also just navigating and just discovering this version of the 90s internet, which pretty much looks like Netscape or something like that. Yeah, like it's... When we would, back when we had dial-up and everything. And I know there is a demo out, so I mean, if and you I want have to try that, I know. I have played it. I have played yeah, it. Yeah, I, I could tell you a bit about what it's like. Yeah, because the, the thing that I found so interesting about the demo is, I mean, first of all, to your point about, like, they made this fake internet. Like, really, you see it in the footage in the showcase, but they really, like, created not just fake internet, but, like, a whole fake operating system, or HypnoS, as they call it, in which you actually like, have a little computer you're running. There's a music player. There's a download manager. There's You can post sticky notes to yourself. There's, uh, you know, all these different things in the web browser, like... You go always. It's basically a, a, a like an intranet almost, where it's like all these fake websites, and yeah, your goal is to um, hunt down hackers and baddies on it. And I did try the demo, and I think my biggest takeaway from it is that it's actually more structured and game like than it lets on. Like um, that's not to say you don't have the freedom 
you know, to customize your desktop or download random MIDIs and play them from your music player from this like fake internet. But the contrary to how it looked in the direct or not the direct, sorry, the showcase where I was like, what, how is this a game? Like the actual gameplay is there and basically how it works is you receive a new assignment via email. You go out into an open world setting. In this case, it's a spoofed internet. Uh, and then you go meet the goals of the assignment. So like for the demo, this meant locating, identifying copyright infringements, which mm-hmm. I did by, you know, I go to the browser, I enter a search term for the character that's being infringed upon. And then you go to these specific websites and you click around and you read it and it's all really well written and stuff. And then you find what you're looking for. You enable a tool that basically lets you click on each copyright infringement. And then once you have four, you can then flag the user, at which point you go back to your email to collect your reward, like it would be a bounty in any other game. And I'm sure, you know, in the full game, there's going to be a lot more variety. But my point is, it's kind of amazing how they, like, grafted the everyday idea of surfing the web on top of a very structured, almost traditional gameplay formula. And it actually works, like, pretty well. Um, plus, to your point about the aesthetic, I think, like, you know, having them ham up the late 90s and early 2000s, like, really makes this sort of, like, you know, it's this, like, flashy lo-fi internet thing. I mean, obviously, that's trendy right now, like, the nostalgia of that era, but um, it definitely has a look. It's trippy. It's funny. It's well-written, you know, just in the demo, even. And beyond just the one mission, you can actually, like, poke around their fake internet a bit and read some stuff. And it's 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 really well done. And um, the other thing that kind of surprised me was how it controls. Because, like, on PC, where it's, you know, lived for a while already, it actually has mouse and keyboard support on the Switch. Like, apparently, oh. Nintendo wow. suggested to them that they add it. So if you dock the Switch and use the USB, you can actually play it like it's really the internet for an authentic experience. But even without that, what surprised me, although it shouldn't have, it uses touch control if you're playing in handheld mode on Switch. So, like, yeah, you can use buttons and sticks if you're playing on your TV. And, you know, like, one stick is your mouse cursor. Another stick lets you go element by element down the page. There's, like, scrolling options. You can use the shoulder buttons to do, like, shortcuts back and forward between web pages. You know, hitting X closes an, an app. You know, all that. But, like, if you want to just pretend you're really on the internet, just put it in handheld mode and just tap and touch and scroll. And it's just like, you know, like a tablet or something. Which really does kind of make it, like, feel that much more real, even though it's, like, this fake mirrored, like, parody internet where they're making fun of all these big corporate companies. And, I mean, literally, the OS is called Hypno, HypnoS. Like, it's all about, like, kind of the mind control and everything. So, um, so it is really well done. Um, I, mean, I don't know if like glowing impressions. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know if I'm going to buy it. it. Well, that's the thing. I don't know. So, like, that's where things get weird for me because on the, on the one hand – like, I'm all about the concept. I mean, my website building roots, really, like, random towns roots, uh, go way back to GeoCities. Geo- yeah, GeoCities, Angel Fire, Tripod Era. That's, like, where this all started for me. So I'm very, like, in that world, and that is what they're spoofing. But, you know, and even, like, my day job as, like, a community manager, it often involves content moderation. I mean, similar to what I had to do in the demo. Like, there have legitimately been times uh, where I've gotten a request from our legal department about takedown notice, and I had to go hunt hunt it down because i wasn't you know they didn't identify the content correctly or whatever so the fact that i now experience this like almost exactly how i do in real life in a game gamified is kind of cool and then you know like the keyboard's important to touch kind of further emphasizes that but i guess it's like why would i want to play a game of that? exactly that every day exactly but at the same time like it's kind of cool to be like oh this is me like you know how <laughs> this could sound really cheesy but you know how people are like oh this like movie or this game like represents me in a weird way this is like the most accurate representation of my life in a game um but paradoxically because of all that like it's almost too real yeah so like uh you know poking around the demo even beyond just the one goal provided that you know it it showed me there's a ton of diverse content 
tucked into this fake internet, but I spend so much time monitoring and doing things on the real internet. Like it's like doing my job in some sort of weird heightened extreme neon soaked version of it. Um, where there's actually a literal talking head that cracks jokes and things like that. But so like, that's kind of cool. But like at the same time, I'm just like, ah, oh, this is not much of an escape. It's kind of the same thing. So I don't know if I'm actually going to buy it, but it does seem incredibly well done at what it does. I mean, is it something now that you know a bit more that you think you'd pick up or? Uh, no, <laughs> like, I mean, the thing is also like, I'm just, I, I've been giving myself like a week now mm-hmm. to decide whether a game has enough like sticking power in my head and yeah if there's a demo like i'll definitely try it i mean i haven't tried this one yet but that's only because i've started playing other things and i think um yeah i just want to see how how well its concepts like hold up a week later like am i still just as excited to play it if so then i'll buy it if not then you know what i'll move on and i'll kind of see that as like a like a bar to the game which you know might be a little unfair but Kind of how we had that conversation in Quarantine Chronicles. Like, our time is very valuable. And mm-hmm. sometimes, like, especially, like, the older we get, like, with the jobs that we have, and between the shows, movies, and games that we are still clamoring to watch, I have to, we just have to be really picky. So, yeah, trailers now are, that, are just that much more important now than ever. And while I was excited about it the first week, it just kind of remained as, like, well, that's a cool thought. But that's kind of <laughs> yeah. where it went. No, I, I know what you mean because another I mean, game I, wa- I want to play Fall Guys, and I still haven't even played Fall Guys. There are rumors that things come in a Switch, which I really hope are true. Someone found something in the PC version's code that points to, like, Joy-Con icons or something. Well, so Hopefully that's true because I could definitely see myself playing it on the Switch because there's other friends to play it with. I mean, and now I, and no. I that, but, like, honestly, the like whole aesthetic of Fall Guys, it feels so Nintendo already. Yeah, like the it look, does look very nice, but so gameplay. I don't even think it would really hurt it that much. I mean, I, I mean, I still think Rocket League looks great, but that's because I haven't seen the PC version yet. Right. You know, which is it free yet? Um, I believe they're switching it over sometime this month if they have. Well, this month is over in two days, so probably. <laughs> Actually, this month mm-hmm. is over tomorrow, not in two days. Yeah, I need a, for Kevin's suggestion, download that game and see what I've been missing out on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, uh, but yeah, I think I think the only thing that would slow down Fall Guys is there are like what sixty five of those little Fall Guys running around at any given time. So I could see that potentially, maybe, causing some issues. Yeah. But then again, the GameCube ran Mario one twenty eight. Remember that demo where they had one hundred twenty eight Mario's running on a surface? Yeah, so. but Nintendo seems to be struggling to get Smash Brothers working online when there's like three more than two people on. Oh well, that well that that's Nintendo's own netcode. I feel like like Fall Guys. I, I don't think the netcode's going to be the issue. I think it's going to be the processing power of pr- processing all that data locally once it has I it. I mean, luckily, it looks like it's literally just like a two-button game. It's a jump yeah. and a dive. It's, dude, it's, or... it's Battle Royale Mario Party. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Like At the end of the day, it's it's Mario Party. It's what online Mario Party could have and maybe should have in retrospect been. It's just like, never mind the minigames being four people. Like Do like a crazy like new set of online-oriented mass multiplayer minigames. Well, hopefully it comes but, out soon. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I do have it on PS5. I mean, 5, 4, but... PS5? Yeah, Did you let slip you? No. <laughs> um, I wish I had one. That would be cool if you had one. Now I'm would be the greatest wait. time to have one before it comes out, because you don't have to worry about anyone seeing it, because no one can come over. That's true, but if I'm going to yeah. get one, I want to wait for in the inevitable all black powder version, if they ever do uh, one. Yes. It seems like they always do like a pro version. Well, at least they did with the... P3 
PS4, so I feel like they would do that with the PS5. Right. They'll at least do a redesign halfway through the generation. Well, oh, I, I, I just want the like the game mixes, like the Monster Hunter version, the God of War, mm, if they mm-hmm. ever do one. Just because all the ones we have now have been exclusive editions, so I might as well keep that tradition going. Right, right. There are rumors, by the way, of not a PS4, but there are rumors that Monster Hunter, a new Monster Hunter for Switch would be announced in the not-too-distant future. Oh, so. it's changing back to Nintendo? Hmm. Uh, they might, well, yeah, it did super well on the handhelds. I think, um, it's probably going to be not that something. world was doing really well. It, it did. But... It also did super well. I, I think what they're going to do is fork it a little and do like, you know, sort of like how Final Fantasy has like the mainline games and the spinoff games, depending on your platform. Um, I could see them doing like a traditional old school, however you want to word it, Monster Hunter for Switch and then doing World 2 on PS5 and Series X or something. Because, hmm. you know, there, there's enough diversity in the gameplay that they could probably fork it. But uh, but we'll see. But uh, to your point, you made a good point about, like, you know, there's trailers and you kind of assess, you know, are you going to get this game? And you kind of decide, is it still with you a week later? I am in that sort of weird – I mean, granted, it's not out till, um next year, I think. But I'm kind of in that headspace with Card Shark, which was another – one of the other highlights for me in the presentation. It actually – is weirdly similar in concept to hypnospace in a way not in terms of what it actually does but it's like it it's uh i mean conceptually like in the way that hypnospace focuses on the idea of something like the internet and turns that into a game card shark turns not card games into a video game there's plenty of those but specifically how to like cheat at card games into a video game and digital devolver isn't saying like too much um yet on what that entails but what stuck out to me is apparently the game is going to be teaching you real card tricks as you go. And as you progress through the game... Real you're card act- cheating tricks? You're I don't know about necessarily kicked cheating. Kicked out of Vegas, I guess? Yeah, like, I, I don't know if it's full-on cheating or just, like, tricks and tips or what. But, yeah, I mean, they do warn you, like, be careful not to get caught cheating. But, yeah, they're going to teach you ones that actually are applicable with any card game anywhere, it seems like. Like, it's going to be based on real uh, card tricks. Um, but then kind of like Hypno again, so you got this concept, you know, something that you wouldn't think would be a game is now a game, unique art style. So this one's like 1700s France as presented through, I, I don't even know what to call the style. It's like old-timey storybook, like the artwork that would come with a deck of cards. Like I don't really know what it would be, but whatever it is, it's, it's pretty distinct. I thought it looked super cool. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that like, am I gonna, and this happens a lot. There's so many games I call out on the show, and then when it comes out, do I buy it? I don't know, but like, I am very intrigued about Card Shark. I have all these unanswered questions right now. My biggest of which is like, how's the game going to work in terms of progression? Like, the premise is you take your winnings and reinvest them in bigger games, working your way kind of up into royal circles of card games. But they also warn, like I was saying before, that you could get caught cheating. And then they also mention that there's roguelike progression, which presumably means no two card games are going to be the same. But like, how is it? it and then on top of that, they say like progression is mapped to mastering a technique and then you unlock a next one and that's how you kind of move up so like how's that work if it's roguelike and what happens if you get caught cheating and like does cheating just mean you failed at the technique like you know there's all these sorts of weird there's so much i don't know about how the gameplay works i guess um and you know i don't know how it's all gonna fold into one another um pun intended but uh, <laughs> thank you uh but yeah it's like one of those things that watching it it's just like oh this is really cool and i want to keep an eye on this but i'm pretty sure come next year unless you know, all those answers line up in just the right way. I don't know if I'm going to pick it up, but, it's, you know, and that that's a lot of the games in the showcase where it's just like, oh, that's really cool. That's a neat idea, but, like, does it 
resonate with you longer term? Does what it evolve into in terms of actual gameplay pan out in a way you want to invest your time in? Like that's the thing with all these presentations is you don't quite know. Yeah. And and there there were at least like three or four different like community management like sim games. Like yeah. there's like there was like the two bread and breakfasty looking ones, like the one that looks like the Sagwa the Chinese cat cartoon. Um Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Spirit, uh, Spirit Fair, yeah. Which they showed like in, that a, in a presentation before. It was actually its second appearance, and it came oh, yeah, out but like, yeah, but like that one, Bed and Bear and Breakfast, the Garden Story, like, yeah, like the one that looks like Stardew Valley. Like, I know they're all like different, but yeah, it's like I, I don't think I'm gonna. And as polished as they look, I don't think I'm gonna check out any of them. Yeah, but and, and that's kind of – I mean that is the advantage of the Switch having, you know, what, 60 million owners now is like there's enough of an audience that different ones can tear – like if you want to be like I like the concept of Stardew Valley but I really wish I was t- a tomato, well, Garden Story now exists and you could be a tomato. So like there is going to be like audiences for all these I think. But Where's Sports Story? Uh, Sports Story got delayed. They announced oh. it the day before Direct and that's kind of one of those things with these indies as well is you never really know when they're actually going to come out. Um which which we'll get to in a minute, but I did want to say, you know, for all the games that were like, oh hey, we it looks cool, but I didn't, I'm not gonna buy it. There is one that I actually impulsively bought. There is one that I actually like followed through on, and that was Raji, an ancient epic. Um, oh. Yeah, so th- this to me was frankly like it wasn't the most unique game of the bunch, but it was the most eye catching in the showcase to me. And like I was saying at uh, the start of our episode, it's a game that actually comes to us from a dev team in India. A place where a lot of mobile games are made, but very few console games reach a broader international audience. So right away, it's like, oh, this is like a different perspective from a dev team that doesn't normally get to reach out to like the Americas or, or the bigger parts of Europe or whatever. And um, that's not the only time it's unique about it. Like as unique as the origins may be, the game also heavily, is heavily reliant on Indian culture. It's set within Hindu and Balinese mythology. It has a really cool kind of ancient India aesthetic. And when I saw it, I was just like, oh, this is actually really interesting. And I started doing some uh, reading about it just to see, like, what the backstory here is. And it turns out this really is, like, this passion project from a small group of developers in India. They're comprised of XEA and Rockstar and Zynga employees, and they formed this new company called Nineham Games. And initially, I guess, it was a Kickstarter back in, like, 2017, but then it didn't meet its goal. And they still believed in it, so they shopped it around to publishers, you know, all around the world. They're pretty much met with no's across the board. Um, even the console oh. manufacturer, I know, even the console manufacturers, like they, the process of getting a dev kit to India was difficult because they don't normally send dev kits to India. Like that, that that world isn't doesn't connect with ours in that sense. Like in the sense of like, there's not they don't know where the dev kits are going to end up. There's not a huge gaming community in India of developers for console games. And um, at one point, I guess one of the project leads actually sold their apartment just to get enough money to keep funding the project. And then ultimately, like right when it was about to go uh, under, right when they hit a wall, Epic Games pulled through with their Unreal Engine dev grant and gave them a chunk of money to keep going. And then it kind of – things fell into place. You know, Then a British publisher named like Super.com, uh, they agreed to serve as the publisher, who, which is – they are now the publisher. And fast forward you know, to this presentation a couple weeks ago, and boom, Nintendo is now featuring Raji in their indie showcase on the day of its release and it resonated i feel like with me and a lot of others um so it is kind of like one of those little like you know um 
inspirational. Like if you if you try, you can succeed. Like if you believe in your vision, you can succeed. So from that perspective, the game's really cool. Like I'm really happy for his developers. And, you know, knowing that the devs were putting themselves out there to tell the stories of their culture, ones that are rarely featured in gaming, I like I was pretty on board with it just off the backstory. Like at that point I was like, I'm gonna buy it regardless. It doesn't matter if it's great or not. Like I just like that they were this passionate about getting their tale out there through gaming. Um but what I think uh what struck stuck uh stuck with me most once I started playing it is you can see that they really poured their all into this game. Like even if they did at one point struggle to develop the thing, like presentation wise, it looks gorgeous. Like the games in kind of this cinematic isometric uh, perspective where the camera's fixed, but you know, it, it changes and swoops and stuff. And as you go through the environments, but like the environments themselves, like the lighting, the fire effects, the architecture, the uh, inclusion of like traditional style Indian artwork, like the little animation details when you run around as Raji, it all really pops. It looks really good. Like it looks not like a, cheap indie game like they really put the effort in same with the music and just like the way it tells its story of which i'm maybe i don't know halfway through right now but the way it tells it it really does feel like you're hearing an old folk tale being passed down like they have these cutscenes scenes like a you know like a fairy tale would be and it's all presented this really cool like shadow puppet style and then even when in the game uh you have you know that kind of zoomed out perspective but you are hearing a running dialogue of like the hindu god's musings and it does kind of feel like a myth being passed down to you because it's you know it's, it's one that tells of this girl raji who in a nutshell her little brother's stolen by demons and it's up to her with the god's assistance to get him back uh the gods think she's like maybe is a chosen one that can wield some godlike powers and then as you're going through it you kind of have the gods debating like oh is she fit for this is she not like oh and kind of cheering her on or scolding her or whatever and i'm I'm obviously not super familiar with Hindu mythology, so a decent amount of the game is kind of going over my head. But uh, one thing I have been appreciating is that the game almost at times turns into a bit of an edutainment experience. Like as you go through the various levels, there are points where you are taught the basics of like each god's background and some of the interactions with that's, one another. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and it's like on the one hand, Especially because it, it's a culture that we, you know, like you said, like definitely very unfamiliar with over here. Yeah, and like they do. Like throw, I feel like every other game is like greek myth or north space because mm-hmm. i know there's like one game that was also the showcase hades and then there's mm-hmm. another one that came out not too long ago that was also based on north mythology yeah there was or, uh badland no not badlands badlands maybe but okay. but yeah like you said mm-hmm. raji but yeah no so so that's really cool that they do that um and and like you said like there are other games that do it with like norse or greek or egyptian you know like the game at the end of the day this game is basically the through an indian lens a kind of isometric perspective prince of persia or like early god of war style action game um which makes those edutainment moments kind of weird in a way like it's really cool but also like they sort of slow down the pace like you imagine if you're doing god of war and then like halfway through there's like all right hold up we're gonna teach you about mythology for a minute and it's just like it just kind of stops and you're just looking at like cool imagery mm-hmm. of mythology like that kind of happens so um and and that's sort of like indicative of a lot of the game actually like i was talking about how pretty it is right well while on one hand yeah it looks great the downside is that when there's a lot happening on screen the frame the frame rate really can't chug and this is both true in handheld and even when docked and i mean like even playing on my tv i noticed little things like shadow pop in and other minor graphical glitches and it's one of those things that like it's not a big deal they say a patch is uh, on the way so it'll probably fix that but at some point you gotta wonder like is having the tiny fish that swim in the pool next to where you're walking really worth the frame rate chug that kicks in or the lag that kicks in when they're swimming like they kind of 
at times are, were so ambitious with their vision that they bit off a little more uh, than they could chew, which I feel like for better or worse is a bit indicative of the gameplay too because there's a lot of really neat ideas in here. Like at its core, you're going room to room. It's very linear. Um, you know, there's enemies that spawn in groups of like three to six and you fight them and you have a number of moves to do so as well as multiple weapons to do so and you earn new weapons as you go. There's like a staff and a bow and arrow for, you know, short range versus long range. I mean, there's, they have the whole skill tree thing in place uh, that lets you, you know, use more advanced powerful moves by like one that I, that I like using is like it summons this giant ball of electricity that stuns all the enemies so you can run around and hit them all. And, you know, I sort of said this in passing already, but it's, it's very much the gameplay style of like mid 2000s Prince of Persia but zoomed out and uh the, so that that's all good right and the move variety is pretty good too like Raji's acrobatic in a very Prince of Persia way like in battle you can run up walls and do backflips that can then be combined with different attack buttons you can swing around poles and do attacks that way um and even like outside combat you're doing stuff like running sideways on on walls which is straight up Prince of Persia or like sliding down tapestries so good variety but I found that ultimately you keep coming back to the same few attacks like you only really have one way to get away from enemies which is a dodge roll but they seem to be able to hit you while you're in mid-roll which kind of Mm. makes it a little tough so if they corner you well you're basically stuck until you're dead and for smaller demons that you're fighting they don't even clearly define the attack patterns or use any sort of signal to the player so you could very easily think you're dodging away but actually they're already coming at you with a hit well it looks like they're just not so a lot of the combat as you get to more intense battles, leaves you with the choice of basically either using a long-range weapon or if you want to try the fancier moves, kind of just crossing your fingers and hoping the timing works out. Like, even if you ignore that maybe I'm just not good at battles, it does, which I'm not, it does feel a bit too luck-based, even though conceptually it's all there. They have such a deep battle system, so many different moves. The devs did, you know, all this variety, and yet boils down to i was just using the bow and arrow from afar and that's pretty much the only way that i was making a serious progress and and that sort of concern i guess spills into other gameplay decisions too like they have this puzzle mechanic where you have to spin rings to form an image it's actually weirdly similar to how paper mario origami king's battlefields are laid out uh you know where you like do the ring spin to line everything up correctly and um yeah and those images they form um they do shed some light into like Raji and her brother's backstory and their relationship and their relationship with the gods. And again, from a storytelling perspective, it's pretty cool. But like, and, and the art's really intricate, don't get me wrong. It looks really nice. But then like, it's kind of undercut by two things. I mean, first, um, in order to spin them into place, you use the R and L shoulder buttons and they go very, very slowly. Like you can't just use a stick and spin it. You have to just like sort of thing and second you don't really have a point of reference to what the image should look like so what i actually found myself doing is not trying to line up the image i would just kind of mindlessly tap lnr until the game like indicated with a little glow oh this is where the, where it needs to be and i had no idea why it was already forming until it was already formed so i felt like it was a kind of cool puzzle idea that they then sort of undercut by how they presented it and um there's a slightly more egregious version too where you're doing it with a 3d like statue of a tree or like forming a tree so it's like along the z-axis instead of you know a flat circle and again yeah. not a bad idea imagery is really cool when it's done the game looks gorgeous but like you don't really know what you're making you can't really tell and then when it just clicks in a place you're like oh that's a face but like you really couldn't tell until it sort of did it for you so yeah so it has its issues but even with all these complaints i am still enjoying the game i think a big part of it is like the unique setting and just like experiencing a game like that uh, even if the gameplay isn't something super new, like the environment and the world are so new that it it, it sort of 
it it keeps me going and um you know like like any sort of i guess action combat game like yeah it can be frustrating in the moment especially when you feel like it boils down to luck but when you do persevere it does feel gratifying and there are some cool bosses kind of like god war has like the big bosses so there are some cool bosses i just think um at this point the best i could do is give like raji a kind of a tepid recommendation like if you're going in knowing some of the pain points and you're willing to overlook that for the world you don't typically see in games like it's cool it's worthwhile it does cost 25 bucks uh but when like you see the graphics the cutscenes, what have you it makes sense that you're essentially paying for those production values plus like i said there's a patch coming so maybe they'll resolve a lot of this but as of now it's like to our point about like the trailers kind of people judged by the trailer like this is one where like it looked amazing in reality it has some issues but it's still cool if you have the time to let it kind of prove itself to you at least presentation wise if that makes sense but i can see that yeah so it's just it's an interesting game because like it was i very rarely instantly buy an indie game from these showcases and one this time i did and you know that's some of the pain points that come with it are uh little design decisions little you know they're a small team they have to focus on certain things and they chose presentation over uh some of the gameplay choices which is a totally reasonable thing to do when you're trying to tell a tale about your you know culture's history and everything so so for the price would you say it's worth checking out or do you think that actually kind of hurt a little too much i mean just objectively like just straight up talking about the price basically i think it's a little high priced for i think i think it's worth like it depends on what you're going in there for i think as an overall package 25 is a bit much as you're playing it you're like oh, oh this is why i'm paying 25 dollars because like the production is nuts like it looks really mm. good yeah like some um, of those bosses are pretty crazy and the game's not super long it's from what i gathered i'm about halfway and from what i gathered um it ends kind of abruptly like it ends on a cliffhanger as if they're gonna do a sequel but it's like building towards it and it just like stops so so um there's also that to consider like i feel like the fact that they had on sale at first as part of the indie world you know sale when they did the showcase so it was 22 instead of 25 like even 22 feels i feel like like 20 or 18 or 15 might have been more of a sweet spot but again given what i know about the backstory of the game i i understand why they charged what they charged but yeah it's definitely on the pricier side for what it is i'd say mm. that's cool yeah, but yeah. So and I've I mean, it's unfortunate, the- but I mean, hopefully, I'm, I'm sure if it got a lot of traction because of the indie direct showcase, maybe it'll get a special sale later. I mean, it wasn't on sale by default. I felt like a lot of these no, it was. Were- it was three dollars off. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, I guess I, I want to say that's substantial. Like, well, yeah, to- I know, I know. But well, yeah, Nintendo's it- not gonna. All the games that were it, shown it, it, in the it, showcase were only on no, sale yeah, for yeah. a couple bucks. Yeah. I mean, I think it would have to be like seven to eight off for someone to for that to actually yeah. sway someone that's on the fence three bucks i don't think that's gonna make a difference yeah yeah i mean did it make a difference to you were you gonna get it i was gonna get it either way it was... yeah i was gonna get it either uh, way. Yeah. but but yeah it is, it is one of those things that, like and that's one of the nice thing about indie world is the fact that these developers were able to get this into indie world like that is a lot of attention they wouldn't have had otherwise you know like a game like alpaca ball all-stars like that comes out in a couple weeks or a month in october i think it's basically you know i think we talked about it on the show before it's rocket league with alpacas uh which is amazing but like that you know that's not getting in a indie world and that's its own kind of crazy cool concept but so that might not get the same traction as something like roger or what have you uh so like it makes the difference like these showcases really can make or break a developer's success on the switch i feel like especially with discoverability becoming so much harder do you know how much of it is nintendo finding these games and going like hey we want to showcase you on this thing or 
if a developer is going, all right, we know someone and we have enough money to My allow Nintendo to give us attention. is that it's both. So what Nintendo does with all these indies is they have a whole team who has had some turnover. Uh, but they had a whole team um, that is in charge of being like liaisons for the indies. So they send them dev kits. They check in. They make sure they're using the tools correctly. They, they have the game sent to them for lock check, and they do bug testing, make sure it doesn't crash the Switch, you know, all that stuff. So Nintendo has a running list of pretty much all of these games that are coming to Switch. And likewise, they, you know, and they, like, approve them, essentially. Like, you, there's a reason there's no adult-only games on Switch. Nintendo is saying, no, like, they can't sneak it on there without them noticing. Uh, likewise, they also do outreach programs where they go to PAX, they go to... I mean, to... with some of the games on the Switch, I would imagine some did sneak by, but... Well, it's more like Nintendo uh, is only doing... I mean, you're right, yeah, but it's more like Nintendo I, only I, does I, it based on like... content, not quality. I... Yeah, I was gonna say like I guess their approval ratings like will they crash a switch? No. Yeah, so. pretty much. But but um and and keep in mind there's like you know dozens coming out every week now. So even their lot check dozens. Is like, there's that dozens of us. No, but um even their even their lot check gets you know some stuff will slip through. But uh, Nintendo also what they do is they do sort of work with the indies to find new projects who have come to switch. And yeah, I think that to your point of which way does it go, I think it goes both ways because I we've seen it firsthand when we went to. You know the uh, uh, the indie showcases at E3 that we do on the rooftop, the uh, the, mix. the mix. Yeah, when we do that, or like when I when I was at PAX East, or like when we go even down to Comic Con, sometimes like there are Nintendo people like scouting out these smaller devs and talking to them and trying to convince them to bring it to Switch. Like how many games? I mean, you mentioned Manifold Garden, right? Uh, at, when we were talking about visual games at E3 last year, we played that on PC in the IndieCade section, and. That wasn't coming to Switch at that time. Right next to it was uh, – what was it called? Earth, Hero, Earth Knight. Earth Knight. Earth Knight. Yeah. And that also wasn't coming to Switch at the time. But like people from Nintendo like Damon Baker when he was there or um, Kirk Scott who took his place who also has since left, they their job is basically to go around at these conventions and check out the games and be like, hey, have you considered bringing this to Switch if they think there's some potential there? And then I'm sure as part of that conversation, these showcase slots are booked. So – but I'm, I'm, at the same time, though, like Digital Devolver, they're a huge indie publisher, and I'm sure they went to Nintendo like, check out Card Shark. You guys want to reveal this? And they're like, oh, you're Digital Devolver. Sure, that's a big get for us. So I'm sure it's a two-way street. Yeah. The one the one I don't understand, though, is um, Torchlight. <laughs> like, I mean, I know it's it's not like a publisher in the traditional – like the company that put out Torchlight is a Perfect World. They have their hand in games like – big games like Star Trek Online and – Never realm or never rim wind and like they have all sorts of like MMOs and stuff. So it's kind of odd to see them be like an indie in the same way that it's odd to see like Microsoft's games show up as indies because technically the developers are. But like Torchlight kind of like not every game in the showcase necessarily. I felt felt like it should be in the showcase. Like Torchlight's fine, but it just isn't really indie in that sense. So you know sometimes some of the choices are a little strange. Um, but so you're it, saying they're kind of like way forward? Torch, uh, Torchlight? Or I mean, uh, well, Perfect World? Well, develop, kind know. of. Yeah, they're kind of. I mean, they don't forward. really feel like an indie sometimes. But Yeah, but so. they would still end up in the indie showcase, so I guess it makes some sense. But no, I feel like Perfect World, like they've been around for a while. They're like this huge, I think they're owned by like a Chinese conglomerate or something. They're like this big MMO maker. So it's kind of funny to see it be like, oh, but check out this little tiny, this struggling little company, Perfect World. Here's their new game, Torchlight 3. But uh I guess Nintendo defi- has a strict definition of what is a major publisher and what is indie, and they fall under the indie side. Which, uh, speaking of, there's one other game we haven't mentioned yet, which is Torchlight 3. Um, 
Yeah, normally it, a game I would have ignored. <laughs> same, same, but it's funny because this is one we're for sure both going to be playing. Even yeah, though I'm actually looking forward to it. Yeah. Both so, times that I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, because we've been playing Torchlight 2, I was like, oh, this game looks kind of cool. But then I turn around and I think I missed the title screen. So I never knew that it was announced until later <laughs> on. Yeah. And then when I saw the trailer again, I'm all like, oh, this game was kind of cool. Like, oh, look at those pets. I'm like, oh, this is Torchlight 3. It's like, oh, I'm even more excited <laughs> for it. Yeah. So we, you and I have been playing Torchlight 2 for well, a couple months now, probably, because um, we've been playing it with one of our Twitter buddies. And yeah. it's fine because I don't usually play those sorts of games. Um, but yet here we are. I think we played for about two months and Torchlight 3 comes up. I'm like, oh, cool. Which I never would have had that reaction to before. Like, I don't play Diablo. I don't play, you know, any of that. And, um, the Marvel superhero one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I, Ultimate Alliance, I did play in college. We collectively, a group of us, went through the Wii one. So I take that back. I play some. But yeah, I never really, like, got into it that much. But yeah, you never, you never, we never go out of our way to play games like this. Um, Yeah. But now, like, here's Torchlight 3. And it, it, Torchlight 3 has a weird history. So I guess originally it was going to be a free to play spin off. And then they dropped the free-to-play elements, and now it's getting the proper sequel. So it's called something else, and then they put the 3 on it, and now it's in beta on Steam, but coming to Switch, this time at launch with the PC version in the fall, and like Torchlight 2, which was years later. Um, but yeah, I feel like I feel like now that I've like played Torchlight 2, I sort of have a wish list for what I want in this sequel. Like There are a couple things that I really, I really want them to address. Um I mean, for, first, we should probably talk... We never really talked about Torchlight 2. So, like, what do you think of Torchlight 2 as a game? Like, what are your impressions of it? Uh, it gets kind of a slow start, but if you're playing with friends, it, it's really fun. It, it mm-hmm. takes a, takes some time to get used to. It takes a while to get familiar with the menus. Like, I guess kind of like any roguelike kind of game, but... So many menus. It, it has more depth than what is even taught to you that like we were lucky that we had a friend that has played it before so he was kind of telling us about like oh don't spread out your your skills that much because you don't get enough skills to max everything out so you're pretty much forced to go a certain route and you can't take your skills back so right away you're like all right i'm not gonna try to spread between like i guess my dual i forgot what they call them like a dual amancer pretty much someone that uses two pistols and some other skill with like a staff so it's like even though my character can use a staff like they shouldn't use a staff but you know, I, I, I wish some stuff like that was a little clearer basically i i agree or, I find or, funny... or, just... or go ahead yeah Sorry. or just easier to start with yeah yeah what i find I, funny I mean... about that is like there's one thing the game does that makes it very accessible intentionally which is unlike diablo 3 or those sorts of like dungeon crawlers um they let everyone get their own loot stashes. Like, you're not racing to each chest when you defeat an enemy in hopes that you'll get the good loot before your teammate does. Like, you each have your own completely independent sets, and they're all spawned for everyone. So, like, you can beat someone, and I can pick up the loot from that same thing just as if I beat them, while I feel like in Diablo and the other ones, you have, like, a shared loot pile, so to speak. And that's a very good feature to make it more accessible so who no matter who you're playing with you still can be rewarded but then yeah they you know and also stuff like um yeah that's something uh, i didn't even think about until i encountered that in final fantasy 14 where yeah we got to a treasure chest and then by the time i got to it there was like a weird system where i had to either click need pretty much to let the other people know that i needed this or that one of them could forfeit it right or greed which is i just want it because just because or like pass which i guess you know pretty much 
it tries to give priority to whoever really needs it, and then it just keeps going down. Yeah, and that's a and that's kind of nice. Definitely interesting. That's an interesting system, and it's more realistic in a way. But I do appreciate that Torchlight can be a little more casual because you just yeah grab for what you a need. game. Sometimes yeah. I, I think this is just better. And there's I others mean, for an online MMO. It does, I guess, add to the rarity and exclusivity of items. But right. For something like this, I think this is perfect and. And also, like, you know, they have those super deep menus, but one thing that's really cool is they try not to disrupt the flow of when you're all out questing or whatever. So, like, you don't have to go back to town to sell stuff like in other games. You have a pet, as you were referencing, that um, you just, in your menu, just go, all right, get rid of these things, go sell them. And he'll just, like, scamper off and go sell them, and you can just keep questing. way too long to figure out how to do that. (laughs) Well, the menus are so convoluted. That's where they're, like, backwards. Yeah. I mean, as annoying as some of these things could be, uh, maybe they could add an option to turn it on and off in the beginning if you're a veteran. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wish it kind of gave you, like, a forced tutorial. Yes. Like, at some point, like, like even if it's not, like, just straight up, like, exposition. Like, I like some tutorials where, like, let's say you, the first time you have too many items, the game will just kind of, like, stop you and it'll just say, like, all right, like, press the pause button. And then it'll just highlight every single thing you have to click on to, like, put the stuff on your pet to send it back because it is not clear like, at all the most straightforward thing yeah no and, and i get just like selling and like buying items like it's really easy to sell your own items i i still do that and i've been playing this game for two like months I said, like, for like oh yeah like two months yeah I, I still uh, do like little things like that but i think but you get used to, I mean, it, it becomes muscle memory eventually it does yeah but they, they yeah. do need to figure out a way to do that because that the idea of like teaching you as you go is crucial but at the same time it does almost fly in the face of their other design decisions to keep the questing going so there's got to be a middle ground they can find like maybe it's a tool tip or something the next yeah. time you open the menu. there's got to I mean, be a way i mean I, I could see why they wouldn't stop you from moving to do yeah. a quest because i mean because it is online and you're playing with friends if you're near enemies when that happens, then you're just going to die because you're just going to keep getting attacked. So, I don't know. I Maybe maybe when the first time you go back to town, I feel like that'd probably be the yeah, best Yeah, that'd part. be a good time. Yeah, and and like that's one of the, like, that's not the most egregious thing. That's something I hope they do fix with 3. I'd say the bigger thing they need to fix, um, the most, like, in-your-face issue, and apparently this is true of the PC version of 2 as well, is the load times are abysmal. Like, they are bad i mean we're talking a minute plus and every time you switch environments every time you go to an area like some of this is due to how expansive these environments can get i I get that but like i really really hope that they optimize that for torchlight 3 a bit or at least change up the the loading screen art or something yeah i think the same art every single time at one point just kind of got kind of annoying like at the beginning i didn't mind it's like all right you know these areas are yeah they're kind of big but at some point, I don't know, I think it was, like, the last session that we had. We were just like, yeah. damn, these load times are really long. Like, I don't know. We actually started pointing it out. That's how bad it was. Yeah, it, it was bad. And, like, it's bad enough that, like, you see the little remind, like, the little tip. They have, like, you know, rotating sentences with gameplay tips. And you start seeing those loop, and it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, I think that's something that, obviously, it's getting worse for us as we go because there's more that has to load. more The environments, as we discover more, they do, like, you know, that kind of fog of war thing where... It only load pieces until you start discovering all that has to load it all because now you've seen it all. Um, so that that's factoring in, but there's got to be a way to optimize that somehow. Like, there has to be. I mean, if they can spend the time, like, the Switch version of Torchlight 3 has an exclusive Red Fairy pet. So, like, if they could do that, they can, you know, maybe work on load times a little, hopefully. I mean, it's a load time <laughs> for Breath of the Wild when you go out to the field from a shrine. Are they that long? No, they're not. 
but but, <laughs> but also to be fair to um that to be fair torchlight in that scenario like nintendo optimized it because as best they could because it's their hardware they know it in and out this is torchlight grafting a game from a different processor and a different thing on top of the switch's hardware like it's not native so i, I in torchlight's defense like i wouldn't say the breath of the wild comparison is totally fair um but I, I do have one other little nitpick this is a personal one of mine um i know you don't oh. necessarily have this problem as much with, with the game but you gotta in Torchlight 3 developers who aren't panic button this time it's someone else but whoever's developing it you gotta let me retroactively earn quest rewards like in any game like this you know you're assigned quests by npcs right you you go to the dungeon you do your thing you're then rewarded that's how you get more loot how you grind your level higher you know that's the gameplay loop in a nutshell but if i'm playing collectively with our group and i haven't talked to an npc yet i can go with the group into a dungeon and the quest is complete completed and even if i later talk to an npc and have that quest then assigned i can't turn around and say hey i already did this give me my reward and like alternatively yeah, think maybe i could go you have to go back and grab the but not even that special item and that. but not even that because i can go back to the dungeon and do it myself you would think but i have found that i if i was already in the same gameplay session as with you guys and i go back the thing i might need to do is already possibly gone because if it's like defeat a number of enemies or do something like that you guys already did that with me i did that but they're not there when i go back because we already did that so i literally can't progress with that one quest even though i already did the quest you know like it's like I didn't do the quest in name, but I did all the actions, and then the game remembers the actions. So if I go back, the dungeon's now empty. The item ones are easy enough; you go grab it from the chest you missed. But like the actual, if you missed it, but the actual like action-based ones, the game never seems to recognize. Um, I haven't experimented if I go play solo, if I then go back, if it like suddenly is there again. But at least in the session where this game is so good at making sure you're all not holding each other back, that kinda holds it back. And I realize that's kind of a me problem because maybe I just missed the guy or whatever. But like, still, it's not not an ideal system. And like, to be fair, you know, if I if I kept proper pace with you guys, uh, maybe it wouldn't be an issue. But you know, sure. it's not great. But but then again, and and also pace, in right. what was that? What were you mumbling? <laughs> no, I said I guess you do have to keep proper pace. To be fair to Torchlight again, like I feel like we're kind of giving it a bad rap. Um, it could be so much worse the oh, way they're handling progression because like. Square Enix really is botching it with Crystal Chronicles Remastered, which, you know, is their version of this type of game. Like, for, for that, um, only the host gets the progression. Meaning, if your party of four wants to play together, you need to do each dungeon four times. And each dungeon visit requires a new online lobby, meaning you need to resync every time you want to do a dungeon. Which is bonkers. So... Just don't get disconnected, Jason. I know you have total control over that. You mean in, in, so. in Torchlight? Yeah. yeah. But, like, I, I'm still – I'm now on – my head's already over to the Final Fantasy thing. Like, how insane is that? How did they take a game from 2003 and make it with weird multiplayer where you need four Game Boys, four Link Cables, a GameCube, and somehow make it more convoluted? Like, how – how? So, so yeah, Torchlight, you know, it, it could be, it could be uh, much worse. And – they took a bet. Um, you think they took it? They may have. Honestly, at this point, who even knows? Like Australia and New Zealand can't even play online right now, and the game doesn't have local co-op. So you bought a multiplayer game, you can't play multiplayer. 
Because the, the multiplayer is I mean, region locked in Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. I mean, just like that, you literally don't have to be the exact. I mean, it's bad, and I feel it also isn't that bad. Crystal Chronicles? Because, it, yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, yeah, outside of some of the other restrictions, I mean, if you're going to play a game together with someone, typically, you're literally only going to play it with them. So, I mean, at least like the issue. I mean, like, one of the ones, one of the shit that sounds like the most annoying is that, like, you don't have to be at the exact same spot and, like, someone has to catch up with each other if you want to join up with other friends. But, yeah, I mean, that that is annoying. Oh, no, 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 no. It's worse no. than that. You can be at the same spot, but each of you needs to host a session to of that same dungeon for all of you to be progressed. So, like, if you and I play, we would have to do it twice because I would need it marked on mine and you would then need it marked on yours. If that makes sense. So if you're trying to play through uh, it together collectively, yeah. If you if you're doing it piecemeal, and I'm just like, hey, you all play Crystal Chronicles, um, sure, yeah, that that makes sense because like, okay, get to where I am. But if we want to go through the game together, how the local multiplayer used to be on the GameCube one, it requires every dungeon being played for us two twice. If Ken was with us three times, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That's where it gets kind of weird, in my opinion. Oh uh, yeah, 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 that that's yeah. significantly worse. Um. But yeah, uh, so the point is, like, Torchlight... I guess it's meant for siblings. But you can't I mean, play local, so not even. I guess you could play online no, in the same no, room. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people probably have their own Switches. They could play online. I mean, that, that's yeah. some, some I, that's what Nintendo's dream is. They want every household to have a Switch per person, so you're just living the Nintendo dream with that idea. <laughs> uh, maybe there's a Switch and a Switch Lite in the same house, then yeah, it could totally work. Um, but yeah, and that's, so the point is that's way worse than Torchlight. Uh, but, you know, if... if if they're going to fix things already, like with Torchlight 3, consider this one little nitpick along with the much bigger load times, like my, my formal request. And maybe the tooltips for uh, letting people understand how the menus work. I still don't fully understand them, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, kind, I feel like I kind of hijacked our, our Indie World segment there. Like that was actually supposed to be a taste of like some of the games from the Indie World Showcase, and it turned into us complaining about um, Torchlight. But anyway, it was um, – there were over like 20 games in all. Uh which after like such a lull in releases was kind of nice to see like to kind of like sum up indie world like it was it was cool to see that we have games again especially to have some show up so soon like typically with these showcases um and this is something you sort of alluded to earlier you know they announce a game it takes like two more showcases for them to actually come out and nintendo world report compiled a list of i think it's like 30 games from these various showcases going all the way back to when it was still called nindies uh that haven't been released so like you know, Super Meat Boy is probably the poster child of this. It's been known since 2017. Still haven't seen it. And then there's like, remember uh, Mykonos Night Market? That kind of indie Animal Crossing that was revealed back in like August 2018. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's supposed to come out in early 2019. Nope. Or how about that cool dog slaying game, um, The Red Lantern, which was revealed in March of 2019 in the GDC time presentation uh, for release later that year. And uh, it's now a year later and we still haven't seen it. Like, we will link to the full list in Nintendo World's report on the blog post for anyone who's curious, but it's just kind of interesting that the, the time span these, these take. And to be fair, like some do make it in their original window or very close and others, you know, like just right under the wire, like the last campfire from hello games that was announced in March's indie world this year came out like two days ago, just shy of the other, you know, just beyond the other indie world. So they, they get there, but um, it was kind of a, a nice surprise to see some actually make it up front. Uh, versus, you know, we'll see it in five years, which which I feel like I need to disclaim this. I, this is not an attempt to put any of the individual developers on blast. If anything, I think it's more of a point to make 
uh, to Nintendo that maybe like with their own first party games, it may pay to tighten up the marketing cycles for their indies a little. Like unlike major studios, you know these, these are small teams. Um, it's harder for them to hit deadlines. They have fewer resources, less ability to align existing engines, or you know as much technical know-how internally. And there's no business first execs that are like breathing down their neck about letting quality slip to meet a deadline. So because of that, like these games just take longer. So I think it maybe is in Nintendo's best interest to do what they did with this showcase, which is have a good presentation with a lot more short-term stuff. Maybe almost to too much of a degree because there were like what six shadow drops on the day of the presentation. It was uh, Raji. That was way too many. It I mean, was. I it like, was cool. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Honestly, that probably contributed a little to me, like just not deciding not to get a game right away because there were at least like three or four that I was interested mm-hmm. in. Like you know, I hit no space and even um, the one about the two brothers and stop motion, mm-hmm. but. After so many dropped, I'm like, I don't know which one to get. I think I'm just going to wait a little bit. Yeah, like, I mean, but... it was I, – I wrote the list down. It was Raji, Spiritfarer, A Short Hike, which we haven't even talked about, uh, Takashi and Hiroshi, which is the um, stop-motion one, Manifold Garden, and Evergate all came out on one day. Hypnospace Outlaw came out the week later. Uh, Untitled Goose Games free co-op update, which I'm very much looking forward to, comes out next month. Hades and Torchlight 3 are in the fall. Like, there was a very front-loadedness that they could have, like – I mean, one or two a week would have been cool and just caught, like, the, like, September of Indies or something. Like, it did seem like a lot at once. But the idea of having, you know, half the presentation right there is basically out before the holidays. Like, that's nice. That we don't usually get. But they could have probably rejiggered it. And, you know, we talked about, like, Alpaca Ball before. That feels like something that, you know, if they if they make the indie worlds a little more frequent and focus on shorter term, games like that would have a chance. And then the ones that are farther out, they can, you know, revisit as they get closer or visit for the first time as they get closer. It's just they, they do it with first party. I don't know why they don't consider shifting the indie things to be more frequent, but likewise um, more short term, for lack of a better term. Because, yeah, it was a lot I'll of shadow about. drops. <laughs> yeah, I'll pack about that look like a, a sensible chuckle kind of game. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But we'll talk about it eventually when – I mean I'm definitely getting that one. Yeah, it's out in October. So look forward to that, listeners. Um, but yeah, I think overall like it was a strong showcase. Like it was one of the better indie worlds. There was a lot of interesting stuff in there, um, which <laughs> which made the next presentation, the next week's presentation, this past week's uh, Nintendo Direct Mini Partner Showcase. I don't know. It made it feel that much more less so compared to the indie world. Like, what did you think of the showcase? Like, what what games stood out to you? What did you think of it as a whole? As a whole, um, upon my second viewing, I was like, kind of like the first one. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of variety in this thing. Like, every game just felt very different from the last. I mean, it, yeah, we have our, like, dance central i already forgot what just da- wow wow the one of the biggest selling franchises just dance yeah one of the biggest selling franchises has like the smallest impact on me yep um <laughs> yeah just dance um yeah i mean the fact like that even showed up and we had that one dj looking game that looked pretty interesting yeah and even the kingdom hearts game looks like i recognize enough of these songs that like i'm kind of like tempted to play it but at least from that presentation, honestly, and surprisingly, the one that stuck out to me the most was Captain Subasa. That's the soccer is... one, right? The based yeah, on the anime. It, it's... Yeah, it's a it's a soccer game based on like a soccer anime. Because as you know, there's literally an anime for everything. If you listen to Quarantine Chronicles, you would definitely 
I've heard of a lot of different types of anime, man. Uh, yeah, go pause this episode. Go back to our eighth quarantine chronicle. Just listen to those first twenty minutes, because uh, yeah, there's an anime of literally everything. That's all I'll say about that. But sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, Angel. But <laughs> I mean, I still feel like we're sorely missing. Is that the word sorely? Yeah. Um, I think I don't know the rest of your sentence. Miss- <laughs> I think we're the switch is like desperately missing more like arcadey sports games. Mm. Um, I mean, the hole hasn't been filled by Nintendo. I don't know what happened to Mario Tennis, but it just kind of came and went. Like I played it, but I don't know. I it, I don't think there's anything wrong with this one. Like the way that Mario Ultra Smash, Mario Tennis Ultra Aces. Smash, was was straight up like a no no Aces. I played a ton of. Oh, you're talking Smash. about the Wii U one. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, the Wii U one. Yeah, like the Wii U one was like was straight up like a like wow Nintendo really. But this one actually felt like some more love and care. I mean there's still like some egregious like why can't they just do like a two out of three sets right off the bat? I could do that in the N sixty four version and literally any version, but why not this one? Right. Like there's some weird stuff with it, but for whatever reason, like it just didn't have any sticking power for me and a lot of people that I know own the game that also love the Mario Tennis franchise. But because we don't have, like, a Mario Strikers and a baseball, like, I still, like, have this itch to want to play something arcadey that isn't a full sports sim mm-hmm. because there's plenty of those, and I'm just not a big fan. Like, the most fun I have in FIFA is just slide tackling. That's literally all I'll do. And <laughs> That's how I play FIFA, too. That's funny. That's literally... The only way to play. Yeah, I mean, like, it's funny because um, when I was... One of the years they had FIFA in the Nintendo booth, 83, I was just slide tackling. And literally, the people I played against were like, this isn't how you play FIFA. And I'm like, okay. And I just kept doing yeah, it. This is how I play FIFA. <laughs> it was like, you don't understand. This is how uh, Nintendo non-sports gamer plays FIFA. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite best accomplishments is actually getting DQ'd from a match because too many of my teammates had red cards that we didn't have enough for a full team so we ended up Listen, we, were ju- we just cut our teeth our soccer teeth on mario strikers like it's not our fault if anything yeah, it's I mean, next level game game's literally fault. about it's like ramming into people yeah it's not our <laughs> so, fault like cut some slack fifa people. yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I play my soccer games the way you play mario strikers and while captain subasa doesn't seem to encourage hating other people <laughs> the the more fast-paced like over-the-top soccer gameplay just almost feels like, like, wow, this game looks like it could be really fun. Uh, hopefully, the frame rate performance is a little better than what we saw in the trailer. There were some parts that looked kind of like it may not. I don't know, like it could be annoying. Was shocked they put some of that low frame rate in the what forty seconds of footage they showed in the direct. Like you couldn't find yeah. anything that was faster frame. Rate. Is the game like that chuggy, for lack of a better term? It's like hopefully it isn't, but it just seems like the kind of game that would be really i guess hype and exciting for like some quick matches especially if it does seem like a fast-paced and dramatic when you kick a ball into a goal and score it in i mean mm-hmm. like that's the kind of stuff that i want to see mm-hmm. but and also i see that it's like 59.99 and it has like a 79 or 89 dollar version is that is that the like month a, one edition or whatever they're calling it uh like the I forget what they're calling it, but it's like some kind of deluxe edition. Yeah, because they're but... they're doing something weird where this is one I don't think I've ever quite seen this. So they're doing a limited edition, but they're only selling it. They're selling it digitally, but only until September twenty eighth. So only the first month of release. And it comes with a bunch of outfits and special goal performances and stuff. But like, 
I've never quite seen that. Like, I've seen, like, oh, a, a limited run physical release or get the, like, deluxe edition that's always available digitally. But I've never seen them, like, do a time-sensitive digital release. So it's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's like, I think I'm going to wait for it to be on sale or something mm-hmm. just because, or they're going to need to look more into it because hopefully it could fill that hole. But as of now, yeah, there, there still hasn't been anything, especially like Mario Super Sluggers, which is like so close to being a baseball sim with how it still follows all of the baseball rules. But just has like enough like Mario twist into it to make it really fun. So I'm hoping this is kind of like that. It just has enough of a interesting twist to, you know, make a soccer game addicting. Right. And you're right. It is called month one edition. It, it's interesting. Cause, uh, um, it's the same publisher. I mean, Bandai Namco. Oh, was... there, oh there's an $84 one oh. called the, 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 oh, it's just the deluxe edition. <laughs> oh, but I was going to say, it's interesting that you, you make the Mario Sluggers comparison because, like, I mean, granted, maybe not the same dev team, but Bandai Namco is publishing Captain uh, – how do you pronounce it? Tsubasa? Tsubasa. Um, Tsubasa, like, like Tsunami. Right, Tsubasa, yeah. Without the Nami. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they're publishing this, but they also were developers of Mario Strikers. So maybe – or, sorry, not Strikers, Mario Baseball. So maybe um, maybe this is what you're looking for. Like, if, it's, if that's how they kind of envision sports games in general as a company – this might be the closest you get, quite literally. Um, they actually had, like, Bandai Namco in general actually had a pretty good... I think they had a pretty prominent, solid representation in the uh, Nintendo Direct Mini because they also had uh, Taiko no Tatsujin. They need to localize that name. But anyway, they had the Taiko drumming... Yeah, Taiko no Tats- Oh, well, right before you get on that, mm. like, I'm watching, I think it's a different... Oh, yeah, this is definitely a different trailer than what they showed at the Indie Showcase for Captain Tsubasa. Does it look smoother? And, yeah, it looks way smoother. And that trailer might convince me to get it. Because <laughs> it actually showed that there is some kind of, like, There's a slide there's a sli- involved. Oh, man. Like, there's, like, a bunch of, like, crazy maneuvers it looks like you could do. There's, like, jumping attacks that look like happen, and... It looks. It just looks really fun. It just looks. I think. Uh, like I think pure, it just turned into the. The, the only thing is just like, why does it have to be sixty bucks? Which is like, it could be completely fair, but because I know, um, I would also want my other friend to get it. It's like makes it kind of a harder sell, but. I guess You're so good. close to becoming the Futurama "Take My Money" gif. I could, I could feel it through the through the voice call here. <laughs> does enough the help that I just spent. Let's see, two hundred and eighty. For like around 500 bucks um, this weekend on, on miscellaneous stuff that's cryptic okay <laughs> <laughs> no um i bought a neca which mm. i'll definitely get into in qc but they released a pre-order for bebop and rocksteady slash and leatherhead for ninja turtle characters that sell out instantly on target or and, and whenever the fifth went up for pre-order they would sell out instantly mm-hmm. and like literally like in less than like 15 seconds it's kind of nuts wow and and they put out and NECA has been doing a great job recently of putting out guaranteed orders pre-orders you just have a week to pre-order it and they're kind of made to order now which is what i feel like i've been raving like they should do the whole time but now they're finally doing it i see i see and so that's like 100 bucks Mm -hmm. because it's four figures like 25 bucks each Mm -hmm. and then i also bought um a 
golden Famicom Mario watch that I know you have seen. Oh, you bought that? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I did end up getting it. The, the nice. So nice. The what is it? One eighty five or whatever price. Yeah, the one that's like one eighty. So you you got um, the Famicom one, not the Super Mario World one. Yeah, I got the Famicom yeah. one just because it's all golden. It just looks classy. The the Mario World one looks cool. There's also like a blue one. This I didn't know. I guess um this is like kind of a side tangent, but like I didn't know Nintendo had. I guess these are recent, but I didn't know they had a line of like. Little fancy watches. Well, they they like wait that they make or that they license out. Well, that they license out. I didn't know oh. they were licensed. Yeah, no, Nintendo's like, all in on the IP fan. stuff. I didn't know they had specifically watches, but it does not in the least bit surprise me anymore. They have glue. Did you see this? I think it's in <laughs> Australia or Europe or something. But UHU, which is a glue company, has a marketing campaign where their glue sticks just have like Mario characters on them. Like yeah, just because, I, <laughs> like there's no connection. They're true. not trying to connect that, them. Like... <laughs> No, yeah, I've forgotten that um, they had gone crazy with their license. I mean, we got the Lego and stuff, oh, but yeah. I guess I was looking for just like a fancy watch. Like I know there was a Godzilla one, but it was like 12000 bucks or more. Mm-hmm. And then I was looking for an Ninja one, but there was one that was made in the 80s, no, like in the 90s. That it just sold out everywhere. It's all golden. And then I thought like, hey, maybe Nintendo has some. They have a collection with, I think it's Alba, mm. that some of them are square, some of them are round, but they're all metal, like metal straps and they just look really really nice but then there's another collab with i think it's wave but those are around and that one does have like mario versus bowser and has a little fire shooting it's not animated it's just static right but there's another one with mario and peach and damn i mean for 180 bucks and a fancy watch i i definitely could do that yeah yeah, that sounds like a good choice. But, I can never go back to normal watches now that I have the Apple Watch. I'm such a sheep, an yeah. Apple sheep. But honestly, like once you, I couldn't even tell you what I use this for fully. But once I have it, I just can't imagine having to reach into my pocket to look at a text. Like, what is this? 2010. So like, <laughs> so like, I, yeah, I can't I, go I mean, back. I, I know, but I, they do look really nice. No, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I know you've always um like worn watches. Like I've also always worn watches as well. Mm-hmm. But with my like right now, I have a Nokia Steel series. I mean, well, I guess it's a Withing Steel. Right. Essentially, it, it tracks your heart rate. It does everything, like health wise, that like most fitness trackers do. But it also tracks my sleep mm-hmm. and can wake me up when I'm no longer in REM sleep, so that I have a smoother wake up. Right. Right. Experience, which is great, but I realize I don't really use it or. Like, the features, I guess the health tracking feature, since my phone, like, it's always in my pocket. It tracks my steps anyway, and those transfer over to the watch. Mm-hmm. I realize I don't really need to wear it all day. Like, I've, I know if I had, like, an Apple Watch, it'd be a harder sell to get a Nintendo-themed watch. Because, but, because I put a Nintendo background because, on the Apple Watch. Exactly. But it's also not official. No, it's not. It would have to be official. I know. I'm but at least this way, now I could just wear my watch when I go to sleep or when I do exercise and then just wear the Nintendo watch any other time. Right, right. So that can help. And then the last thing I bought was a one six scale two hundred and eighty dollar Kratos figure. Oh, nice from Mondo. Nice, yeah. I yeah. think to, to you your know, those, it's been a while since they bought something that big. To but, yeah. your point about the watch, now I'm on that trance. I think the reason I can't give up the Apple Watch is I don't want to break my move streak or not hit my stand goal. Like I think I'm a slave to those rings. That's really what it is. I mean, I wish like Nintendo would put like at least like for your sake or something. I mean, you probably still wouldn't do it anyway, but. 
like a nice like Nintendo themed watch face. Maybe like I guess they would have to do it very minimally. Well, they'd also have to. to they'd also have to work with Apple because the only thing you can do with Apple watches. No, yeah. is um I mean, photo I mean, backgrounds. If you want to do an interactive one, but yes, I would be all for it. I I when no, yeah. used to like I'm thinking like the like the Mickey and Minnie one. Like, would you wear one even temporarily that just has Mario? Or I guess only when you're like, like I know you put on the the Mickey one when you were at Disneyland. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> like, I guess you could put the Mario one whenever you're, I guess, hanging out with us. Or, or whenever I'm thinking about Nintendo, situation. which is just every day, all day. In other words, I just would always huh. have it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be down for a Mario one. I think they could do some So cool you're saying at this point you wouldn't get – there isn't any kind of Nintendo watch no matter how nice it could look that could get you – well, you're just, well, let me put it this way. Even when, even game, when I wore game over on other watches in general, even when I wore other watches like analog watches, I never did like a themed watch. I always wanted them to be like just a watch. Like the Mario ones look really classy. Like they do look really good. But I feel like maybe I cave on that. But for the most part, I just wear a watch, and that's just become an yeah. Apple Watch. But like I never, you know, because they were like they have like those silly Game Boy ones, and they had like other like I swear digital watch as a kid. Um, you know, with like the time pronoun and stuff, and they had like Pokemon themed ones and stuff. But I, I mean, you wouldn't want multiple think... watches to accessorize. No, I always just had one, which doesn't make sense, really. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I get you. I mean, sometimes you just want something simple. You don't really have to think about it. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I occasionally but, on rare but, occasions will switch also... the band on my Apple Watch from my chain link one here to like a <laughs> oh, rubber look one. You adventurous. I know, but I think recently, I just kind of felt like you know what, like who cares? Like I think this watch looks cool. And I'm just gonna wear it. Oh yeah, no, I'm not so knocking you for that. I like think it's sure. awesome that you're getting. Oh no, it. no, yeah. no, no, I, no. I, I, I know you're not, but I'm very. I, I definitely. Basic. I, I, I came from that mentality oh, yeah, at one yeah. point where I just wanted a very simple watch, and now I just want to accessorize Nintendo more <laughs> in my in my wrist. Well put. But, well yeah. put. <laughs> um, Need to see Nintendo. To more see, just it. to have Nintendo always available with a slick, a slight flick of the wrist. But yeah, Captain Tsubasa. Yeah, so yeah, Bandai Namco. Oh, yeah, and you were talking about the Taiko. Yes, because I, yeah. I was going to say, they had a, I actually thought they had a pretty good showing in the in the presentation because they had uh, Taiko no Tetsujin. However you say it. Uh, Tetsujin. Thank you. For some reason, Tetsujin. I put H in my notes instead of a J, so I was really confused. Like, it should be Tatsujin oh, oh. by Tatsu Hin, and I was like, that's not right. So I kept, like, mumbling off the name. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there, this new one is actually kind of interesting, I think. It's... um. If I'm not mistaken, it's actually an adventure game. What? Yeah, it's a, it's the rhythmic adventure pack. If I'm not mistaken, it's actually um, the 3DS spin-offs that came out in Japan now being upresed into HD and put on Switch. And I'm interested in two reasons. In part because I'm going to be honest, I did like Donkey Konga back in the GameCube days. I mean, this doesn't have the conga drums. You were literally, I think, the only person in the U.S. that bought I it. I probably was. And let me tell you, like, it was kind of fun. I mean, you haven't really lived until you've heard Donkey Kong. I honestly don't know why I didn't. I don't know. but you At least, like, or at least Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Like, Jungle Beat was great. Know. Yeah. But you haven't lived, frankly, until you've heard Donkey Konga's, like, magical, by which I mean awful, cover of Rock Lobster. And Conga along to that like that is a life-changing experience like you know in garden state where it's like oh listen to this song it'll change your life lobster? yeah so you know the b52's I'm rock guessing lobster it has covers of a bunch of songs, yeah so. yeah but you know rock lobster right b52's the thing that family guy made fun of with rock lobster like all that imagine conga hmm. drumming to that as a what year does come out 2004 as a 15 year old teenager in your house just like jamming out to that cover of rock lobster with some plastic conga drums by yourself in front of a TV with some dancing monkeys on the TV. That is a life-changing experience, let me tell you. 
but no, like honestly, like Doctor Tonga, I thought that what? No, your parents must be proud. Oh, they hated it. They hated Donkey Konga because it would like the drums make drum noises. They're actual conga drums of sorts. Like they have like a pressure thing. So like I'd just be sitting there drumming away and they'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> but um, yeah, so the the gameplay though, Donkey Konga, like that that meter and how you do the drumming, I always thought was kind of fun. And the fact that this – like I'm a sucker for RPGs that aren't RPGs. Like the way Ring Fit applies fitness in lieu of an RPG battle system, this rhythm game applies – the rhythm drumming or I guess button tapping in lieu of a battle system, but it's basically an RPG where he plays the little drum guy, drumkin or whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> I think it's dr- drum coon, drum cun, drum dunkin. I don't know. It's something like that, but <laughs> Duncan, Duncan donuts. You play as Duncan donuts and you drum to rock lobster, you know, but no, like in, uh, it, this does seem like it's kind of a cool product. I don't know if I'm actually going to get now that I'm saying all this, but I do like the concept of it. It has 130 songs. Like it seems like a good value for what it is. And in a holiday season without a ton of stuff this year, this is, you know, it's, it's there. <laughs> it's a potential. It's coming out in winter of this year. So I, I have an eye on it just in case. Um, but I think the, the, the big surprise of the presentation, if you want to call it the big surprise, but um, Puyo Puyo Tetris 2. And I'm not saying it's a big surprise because, well, who would have thought to be a sequel, but like, also, they made the very egregious choice of removing the Science Bear character, who is by far the best character in the first game, always saying Tetris when people do not score a Tetris. Um, and now he's gone. So that's, it seems. He wasn't in the trailer. He wasn't in the character list. So that's a bummer. But no, the reason I think it's a big surprise is um, it's not very often that a puzzle game gets a direct sequel on the same platform. You know, like the, the thing with puzzle games, I know is... Didn't Tetris 2 come out on Game Boy? One did it okay so maybe some do but yeah but how many people think about tetris 2 <laughs> i know yeah, yeah. I, I know and, and, yeah, that, and that's literally know, game but yeah yeah exactly but yeah and there's some exceptions to your point like luminese one and two were both on psp uh the 3ds had two tetrises Wait, that's how you pronounce it isn't it luminese luminez luminese i was i thought it was i thought it was luminese maybe luminese. i totally misremembering how it's spelled I mean, Illuminis makes sense. Cause uh, like how is it spelled? Let me look uh, it up. We're gonna, we're gonna, we haven't done this in a while. Real time googling while we talk. <laughs> Real time googling. Real time googling. Lumines. Oh, I added an extra I. It's Lumines. Oh, so I was. You right. were right. Interesting. Yep. I just assumed you were right because, Cause, cause, I yeah, because be. I said it with some bravado and confidence. Uh, but no, it. Uh, yeah, Luma. Lumines 1 and 2, they were both on PSP. The 3DS did have two Tetris games, but it only had two because they're by two different publishers. They're Tetris Access by Nintendo, which, if you recall, we went to a Hollywood bar to play. Do you remember that? Dude. Yeah, that was a weird experience. Cool. It was like Nintendo tried to do a Tetris meetup. Pretty random. But, Nintendo tried yeah. to do a Tetris meetup at a bar, and it was like just us and Kit from Nintendo before he was like Kit from Nintendo, when he was just a random PR person for the company. So that was that was the experience, but yeah, they, uh, that was their uh, you know they had Tetris Access by Nintendo, but then years later Ubisoft did Tetris Ultimate because um, they got the rights. But more often than not, like you don't tend to see direct puzzle sequels. It's one of those things where it's like they'll make a sequel to a puzzle game, but they'll do it on a new platform and then they'll sell it that way. Like, oh well, you love this puzzle game on this platform, now it's over here on this other one. You should buy it here too. So it's interesting that they're doing a full on Poyo Poyo Tetris. Too. And it does sound like it has some cool new stuff. Uh, there's a skill battle mode that introduces um, this new card system, including cards of other Sega characters, where they sort of you play the cards, you have three, 
and those sort of do different effects on the battlefield um, on top of your puzzling. And then there's um, a new story mode that's going to use that card system, and then there's a new tournament mode and a lesson mode and some sort of co-op boss fight mode that they haven't really described yet. So there's certainly like stuff if you like the first one, but what I'm kind of left – what I'm kind of hung up on is why they didn't do this as DLC because literally the rest of the game, everything else in the game is identical to what's in the first game. They're promising all the modes are back. So you're paying 40 bucks for what amounts to some duplicate content, some not. Like I feel like a $20, $25 DLC release just makes more sense. Like I, yeah, because I, I mean, know. they straight up say like it has everything that the first game does and a few extra modes, so it literally just feels like it should have just been an expansion. Yeah, and it's weird because like I, full game. yeah, because like I own the original and I don't, and I like it, and I don't anticipate double dipping for the sequel, even though I do find the first one fun and I do think the skill battles are kind of interesting, like the card things kind of intriguing but like i mean and as cool as those are but most people at the end of the day are just gonna yeah. go back and play vanilla puyo puyo or tetris so. right and it does have the mm-hmm. advantage over many puzzle games that there is a story mode the original puyo puyo tetris had as well where it's all it's all you know uh, speech bubble dialogue and stuff and it's really wacky and weird but like there is a story so if you're really into science bear and the adventures of all those other characters i think science bear has an actual name i just call him science bear but um if you're really into all that like you could buy this for the story i guess but I don't know, like, Andrew, you, you play it way more than I do because, like, especially against some of your family back in the before times and friends. Like, I remember there were, like, 2 a.m. Poyo Poyo Tetris bouts going on. Like, are you – do you have any remote interest in getting this or does it kind of go back to its <laughs> – No, exactly. because we could just keep playing the first one, yeah. which is, like I said, like, it's what we're going to keep going back to. Like, we would maybe do, like, one or two rounds of the ones with the skills, but, yeah, at the end of the day – like why bother playing with the skills when we could just do normal yeah characters? and that's kind of the thing that like i i genuinely do hope it works out for sega because it seems like they're really trying to like deliver some new stuff on top of it it just and like the developers seem one of them did uh at gamescom did a uh presentation like a voiceover presentation about the skill battles and stuff and he seemed really passionate about it. like it seems like they're really on board like excited about these new modes but it just feels weird that they're not just like Super Bomberman R did a really good job of patching in new stuff over time, and it was like an early Switch game. I don't know why Poyo, which came out about the same time, maybe a month or two later, doesn't follow suit. It just seems like the better way to do it. But I don't know. The the other odd thing about Poyo Poyo Tetris is actually how it relates back to the showcase itself in my mind, which is um, – to the partner showcase, I mean, is that it may have been the biggest new reveal in the presentation – like Kingdom Hearts, we already knew about. Like a lot of stuff we knew about, but in terms of brand new stuff, it did catch me by surprise. Yeah. I was like, "Wait, what?" And what's weird about that is, like, I think this kind of leads to a conversation more about the general fan reaction to the showing itself, which was, you know, not great. People weren't too keen on this because, you know, even the last showcase had Shimagami Tensei, and this one's like, "Well, what's our big surprise?" It's Puyo Puyo Tetris 2, which, like, do, first of all, do you think fans are being overly negative about this? Do you think they're being fair to it by saying, oh, that was the most boring direct? That was not, you know, that, that, that nothing. They sh- I don't agree with that they I shouldn't have done it. I think they're being but... too harsh because, one, I think it was either a mini or labeled as a mini or a direct showcase. Yeah, it was a Nintendo like Direct Mini Partner Showcase is the official name. Yeah, so I don't even know what they were expecting. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do think one thing that Nintendo did not get credit for is they – did specifically listen to the feedback from the first go round last month in July. I mean, they also didn't announce it early. Exactly. Like, they also didn't announce it like ahead of time, so they didn't have people. Exactly. They didn't give people enough time to start. Like, oh man, we're gonna get a Smash character trailer. And I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I have already forgotten that we still need five more characters. 
Right. Yeah, oh, right. That's true. But yeah, no, I think I th- expectations have been completely quelled. I think you raise a good point though that Nintendo, like, they definitely learned from the July one in that they didn't tease it, they didn't allow hype to build, they just put the presentation out, and it had more games. Like one thing that um, I noticed with this one is it was about double the games as what we saw in the July presentation, which was like five. But I, I do get the vibe a lot of folks have that was kind of a letdown because, like, everyone wants major news from Nintendo. And when Puyo Puyo Tetris 2 is essentially the closest we're getting to the Shimigami double whammy, like, yeah, I could, I, I could see why maybe people weren't keen on it. But I, I actually really like the Partner Showcase concept. I think it's a good value. It provides a good service of sorts. Like, this is an opportunity for Nintendo, and I think it shows they're already thinking about this because they put in already announced games like Kingdom Hearts. But it's a good opportunity to create like a monthly digest of what's going on with the Switch's third-party scene. You know, there's some new announcements. There's summaries of reveals people may have missed. Um, apparently, there's an obligatory free-to-play shadow drop in every one of these. Last time it was Rogue Company. This time it was War Tank Splits. But I think the issue is um, using the Nintendo Direct name puts the presentation at odds with the fan expectations that come with that name. Like if it were me... I just call it a Switch Partner Showcase. Let it be its own thing. They successfully rebranded Nindies to Indie World. Yeah, they, Nintendo Direct has yeah. way too much weight. And, and that's not all Nintendo's doing. Fans ran with it. There's no doubt. But like for you know seven years, it had a certain grav like gravitas to it that it doesn't anymore with these showcases. And I think if they do a name change, you really haven't. I feel like. People are always complaining about the directs anyway. Has there been one that has been universally... Oh, yeah, there were a few. Um, like the E3 ones? The E3 ones were... Some went really well, some didn't. But no, there's always... There's been a few that people are like, wow, that was good. Like, I think the last September one a lot of people were happy with, if I remember correctly. Basically, when they do a lot of surprises, people are happy with it. And when they do a lot of, like, here's an update on a game we told you about, they're like, eh. Which, you know, that's just how our how the game industry is. It's always forward-looking. I always want to know what's I mean, coming next. They make me have to hear the same information about Pokemon every single direct until the game comes out. <laughs> then, yeah, you're going to be disappointed by it. But, like, the, the fact is, at one point, they did have announcements of first-party games, and that's what's kind of lacking right now. But if you take a step back, if you ignore that lack of first-party news, which is understandably overshadowing a lot of what Nintendo's doing in quarantine times. Like, they've had, you know, in this pandemic, they actually have a pretty diverse lineup of coverage these past few months. I mean, we've had multiple indie worlds for the indie game news. We've had multiple Pokemon Presents. We've had a monthly recap of what came out on the eShop in this video thing they call the download, which is like two and a half to four minutes long of just sizzle reel, essentially. They do it every month. We have the weekly shows with Nintendo Minute that spotlight whatever the hot thing they need to market at that moment is. Plus, there's, you know, eShop sales uh, propping up older releases. They just... Uh, the day this goes up, like today, they um, are wrapping the Share the Fun promotion where a ton of old games were discounted pretty heavily. Like Luigi's Mansion 3 was down to 40 bucks or 41 bucks. So, you know, adding a monthly here's what's coming up next from third parties, that is not a crazy idea. I think it further helps augment their current offerings. It's just calling it Nintendo Direct. I'm sorry to tell you, you lost control of that brand. It's fans have too much expect, too many expectations, and you're not going to be able to rein it back in. You should just pivot and give it a different name. And there's of course going to be people mm-hmm. who, um, I'm glad you so mm-hmm, agree with me. But I was going to say there's of course going to be people who like say, well, even under that name, it's not strong enough. Like a lot of people, you know, they seem disappointed. There's nothing on scale of like I was saying, Shimogata Tensei in this one. But ultimately, you're working with the hand you're dealt. Like there's nothing. In these presentations for some people because publishing partners don't currently have things ready to show. It's the same 
deal is what happened with Gamescom and Opening Night Live that just went on this past week. Jeff Keighley's you know big two hour showcase. Did you watch it at all? Uh, I watched an abridged version of it. <laughs> yeah, I had it on the background while working. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like I was paying that close attention. I feel like I didn't miss much. <laughs> like I like some of the backgrounds he was in. Was like, oh yeah. That was the coolest thing. Like he, that's the thing though. It was like, everyone's like, Oh, like the feedback I saw online was a lot of people being like, Oh, it was boring or there weren't any good announcements or it was too slow or this, that or next day. It's like, did you see his augmented reality standing on three screens? Yeah, like he put I, the I thought, effort I in. That it's, was pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the, um, it's whatever content the publishers are able to give him. Like I, I didn't expect much on the Switch side of things. Like I had my expectations tempered, and sure enough, you know, minus a, a few like Bridge Constructor, The Walking Dead, and I think the re-release of Factor Five's like Turian. There, there wasn't a whole lot for Switch. But reading impressions after, including those from, like non-Nintendo fans, a lot of people were just like hounding it and saying how like bad it was. It's just like it, it it's not. It's fine. It's just this is the release cycle we're in, and there's nothing anyone can do to suddenly pull Grand Theft Auto 6 out of a bag or, like, Red Dead Redemption 3 or, you know, like, it is what it is, especially now with everyone scrambling over what little content there is. Like, would Nintendo have maybe wanted to reveal, I don't know, Jurassic World Evolution for Switch in their partner showcase? Maybe. It's out this holiday. It looks like a pretty good uh, management sim. It was pretty popular on other platforms a couple years ago. But, you know, Keeley and Gamescom might have gotten to it first would nintendo have wanted to like show you know the skywalker skywalker saga uh, lego star wars the new trailer for that probably that's a big franchise on nintendo platforms but it's also multi-platform it was just delayed to 2021 so the publisher is not gonna give it to nintendo it's like people that are you know the guy want gamescom so people that are like oh the showcases aren't showing this or gamescom isn't showing that it's like you gotta work with what you're dealt and maybe that means rebranding a showcase maybe that means adjusting the frequency of presentations whatever like first prior release calendar aside it seems like to me at least nintendo's sort of on the right track even if fans want them to do more than they frankly can it's yeah and again people can get yeah. impatient i yeah. mean it is very unorthodox times but honestly if i don't feel news has been that no and that's I mean, the thing unless you're literally doing nothing and only like playing nintendo games i guess and even uh, then, it's not that. The only thing that's weird in the news cycle outside Nintendo is Sony and Xbox's game of chicken with pricing and release date. <laughs> like, at some point, someone has to name a price. And the fact that it's now two months from launch and they're running TV commercials and no one knows how much stuff costs is weird. But besides that, like, the news cycle isn't that crazy. I mean, I mean, it's just, at least in the Nintendo world, I think it's just a matter of Nintendo perhaps finding the right rhythm to everything they're doing, which admittedly is ironic given that third of the partner showcase was actually rhythm games. But, um, you know, just finding that pacing and figuring out exactly like maybe we don't do an indie world, a partner showcase and a sale all in the same 10 days. Maybe we do one at the start of the month and one at the end, like little things like that. But overall, like we're getting as much as we can get. I think it's not for lack of trying. Nintendo doesn't not want to make money. So yeah, I feel like people are a little hard on the showcase. I guess is my takeaway. And Gamescom, yeah. for that matter. Chill out, peeps. What? Oh, no, chill out, chill peeps. Out yeah. Peeps. And, and not only that, but like Gamescom's still going. Like all this weekend, they've been doing, like, like IGN's been running daily shows. Like there's still stuff to consume. It's just maybe not games that are resonating with you, but it doesn't mean they're not, there's not games to consume. So like people just need to chill. Yeah. Um, but I guess before we go, um, there is one more topic. 
We've talked a whole lot about what Nintendo's chosen to show us, indie games, third-party games, but I haven't really talked about what they themselves are up to. And uh, even if they won't say it, there is a report from a very reliable journalist at Bloomberg that will say it, which is the long-rumored Switch hardware revision, the Pro, if you will, is coming next year for real. And this report comes from Takashi uh, Machizuki, who is basically the guy on the Nintendo beat. He used to do it for the Wall Street Journal. He jumped over to Bloomberg, I think, earlier this year. And anyway, he he's the guy who correctly reported last year to be a one-two punch of Switch revisions, a Switch Lite, and you know that minor hardware battery adjustment thing they did uh, right before the Switch Lite. And he's now reporting that, sure enough, yes, there is a new Switch. It's coming next year. Angel, are you ready to buy a Switch again? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It would have to be a substantial, not even like better resolution or anything, just like a substantial performance upgrade for me to consider getting a new one. Because otherwise, I don't know, like, I, I feel pretty content with mine. I, don't, I haven't really run into anything. Well, lucky. I mean, maybe once the battery starts really dying, but I don't really play it in handheld mode a lot. So Lucky for you, according to Bloomberg, what Nintendo has looked at are 4K and higher computing power. Um, nothing's actually been finalized, though, but I, I do think it's interesting that 4K may make the list since Nintendo... Like, they typically shy away from the graphics horse race, right? Like So I seriously, seriously doubt... It's got a render in 4K, but the idea of having the Switch maybe natively scale to 4K instead of making your TV do it, that could be an easy selling point, and that would allow for them to have added uh, computing power, you know, maybe provide more stable, constant experiences with current games. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's something that does add a little extra oomph under the hood, uh, like you're describing. But even even what you're wanting and what I'm saying, like, it feels so un-Nintendo to me. Like, yeah, they... They always snuck in more powerful specs with every mid-gen, you know, handheld refresh they've done. But they usually have something else too, you know. Like the 3DS had that analog you nub. Know, like DS. <laughs> I mean, wasn't one of them just the fact they could connect to the internet and get games? Like the DSi. Well, the DSi had the cameras too. So the DSi was actually the most the most fully rounded, seemingly like new system while not being a new system because they had the cameras. It had DSiWare. Uh, so basically, they brought WiiWare to handhelds for the first time. I mean, separate set of games, but same concept. Um, it had one or two other things I'm forgetting. I think it had something, a music player, like a proper one. I don't remember. It had a sound recording app. It had some other stuff, but they tried to make it like a multimedia device. And, and like, you know, even if you go back to like the Game Boy Advance, they didn't do spec bumps, but they had changed form factors every time. So it's kind of odd that like the leading things that both, not odd, but different that the lean things that both like you're looking for and that bloomberg's reporting are the case are not these more forward-facing things like i remember when we at the start of the year maybe first talked about the switch pro concept we did have the consensus that there didn't need to be all these very many new elements really like you know quality of life tweaks like maybe better battery or more memory for game downloads like an ssd would be nice or maybe more ram so making porting larger games is easier but it's it's odd to me like it's striking me that again bloomberg isn't pointing to any of that or any sort of interface change, no new outward, like, extra nintendo feature. Doesn't mean it's not going to be there, but they're reporting that what Nintendo's looking at is, like, specs and doing the, like, arms race a little. And I was thinking, I was trying to think about why companies never competed for graphics and always zagged while they're zigged or zigged while they're zagged or however you want to say that. Like, why they may might be playing the, like, 4K game here. And I think... If they go through a 4K, which 
we know they're 4K TVs are very inexpensive. Now. Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, I think like we if they go through 4K, I think Nintendo's actually yeah, I think 4K is becoming so prominent. Nintendo's trying to cater to their third party partners in part to make them still want to make stuff because 4K is so prominent and their system doesn't do 4K, which is weird because Nintendo never really pays attention to third parties. But like, hear me out. The Switch has been able to take on ports, you know, from PS4 and Xbox One games decently enough, and it can definitely handle PS3 and Xbox 360, no problem. But right now, there's an accepted discrepancy in graphics between what someone who has a PS4 has and what they see on their Switch. And the, the trade-off is, yeah, well, this one's portable, so it's okay. But if you fast-forward, let's say, to next holiday season, right? So PS5, Xbox Series X, they're well-established, their level of graphics are established, they're... You know, with things like Microsoft's pledge to initially do cross-generation releases of their first-party games, that's kind of winded down by then. Uh, now you have this bigger gap where a game looks a certain way on PS5 versus Switch, and it's that much more of a difference. And all those third-party games that are capturing a chunk of the Switch audience right now that Nintendo doesn't care to, you know, the Witcher 3s and Doom Eternals of the world, that could begin to dry up, and Nintendo doesn't make games for that audience. And maybe third parties are willing to still downscale their games, but Switch up to this point had one big parody checkmark, which is if you plug your Switch into your TV, it hypothetically outputs in the same 1080p resolution as standard PS4 or Xbox One game can. When you're talking about PS5 or Xbox Series X, that's not true anymore. The new baseline is 4K. So if Nintendo can say it does 4K and actually spit out some sort of 4K input, not render in 4K, just like up-res itself, even if the games are still downgraded somewhat visually, they are keeping that same distance, so to speak, between themselves and the traditional home consoles that they've enjoyed these first three years, at least as a marketing bullet point, if that makes sense. Like I think what I'm basically saying is they're, they're moving up their baseline to stay with the baseline of what the games that are going to be ported down to it can do. So it doesn't feel like as much of a discrepancy because being able to go – yeah, it's going to look a little worse than my Xbox, but at least it runs the same if I put it in the TV. That's not going to be true anymore. But now they can kind of say it still is true with the Switch Pro or whatever they call it. So that's my theory as to why they may actually be playing the, the spec game for once. I, I don't know if I would get a 4K rendering Switch. Would you get a 4K rendering Switch? Do you, even have, you don't even have a 4K TV, do you? No, we still have a, a 3D TV. Oh, yeah. that's but... right. I don't have a 4K one either, so... Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, I don't even know if it's because, like, we've just been used to or it's become, it's, like, the norm that you don't go to a Nintendo console for power. Yeah. That it doesn't even come up as a desire because Nintendo has proven time and time and again that that doesn't really matter. But there is also, I guess, the added benefit that if you did have way more power, there is things that Nintendo could come up with that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look better, but it will just do these more amazing things that we probably haven't even thought of. Yeah. But that being said, I do have a super powered up PC. Right. That I'm actually playing an upcoming Switch game on, Alien Isolation. It's already out but on Switch, by the way. It is out mm -hmm. on Switch? Oh, wow. I thought it was still, still out a while. No, it's, uh, I um, believe it's out. Well, I will double check that while you talk about it. But yeah, it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's out. I think it's only like 35 bucks too. Oh, wow. That's cool. But, yeah, point is, um, yeah, between that and, I guess, my still-working PS4 Pro, I don't see a reason to get one. Right. But How is Alien Isolation is so one. far? Or do you want uh, to talk about it when it's, like, further along in your it's progress? Still too early to, it's still too early to really say. Mm. I mean, I've only just, like, barely encountered the aforementioned Alien. Mm -hmm. But 
But you know, so far it is like shaping up to be the game I was looking for. That even though it predates Resident Evil 2, I've been looking for a game like Resident Evil 2, and right. it almost seems like it might be better. But yeah, we'll, we'll just and, have to and see. And it's stuff like that that I think, you know, if Nintendo wants to continue to have those games available and have people buy them because yeah yeah we buy nintendo stuff for nintendo stuff like we buy switch because we want nintendo games we don't care if they're you know when stuff was in hd and the wii wasn't it's like oh i guess okay it still looks nice but i'm just thinking like there's this whole other market now of people who are like buying portable versions of existing games and it's just that much more noticeable when they aren't at 4k when everyone else is well into 4k so that that might be why the the um but yeah i wouldn't like get it unless um i get a 4k tv I mean, like maybe you know, at that time, if like wait, you don't have a four. I don't TV. have. I've had the same TV for since uh, twenty twelve. I think a Samsung. Since I got, excuse me, I got it right around the time of the Wii, uh, the Wii U launch, like the next week. I got it on Black Friday. Um, and it, yeah, it's a it's a Samsung, just standard ten eighty p. But I will eventually probably have a four K, and then maybe you know, maybe I'll get a, switch, a four K switch if it's a thing. And I'm sure I'll have some other little improvements, like a better battery or maybe a dock that doesn't risk scratching the screen. So that that will be nice. But um, yeah, for now I'm kind of just like well, let's. I'm kind of crossing my fingers that Nintendo does something more Nintendo-y with it too, just because that like just feels like what they do, you know? Like that's I like Nintendo. I like weird Nintendo. That's I've said it before. I say it again. I like weird Nintendo. But then again, I also didn't buy a new 3DS, so I guess I don't like them that much. Um, but there is one other there is one other part of Bloomberg's story. It's a bombshell. We need to make sure we mention it. The new Switch will have new games. Yeah. What? The Switch will come out. When they release another Switch, they will release games. Who would have thought? But the, like, the only reason I'm pointing out is it's just funny to show, like, you know, because Nintendo's Live has been so quiet this year, it's now apparently important to note that when they launch new hardware, it will, in fact, also launch with games. Like, what used to be a given for a game console now has to be, like, spelled out. <laughs> um, and it, well, That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. And he, go, he actually goes on to say in the report that uh, this year was going to be lighter for Nintendo anyway with the idea of when they do the Switch revision next year, um, they would have a whole bunch of games for both casual and, and core gamers. Uh, so I imagine. Oh, man, I, re- I really hope one of those games is a Mario game and a Zelda game. You know, but well, I guess that's, that's I, I can guarantee. <laughs> I can guarantee you there is a Zelda. We know Breath of the Wild two exists, and if if I could, if I put money on it, I would say, um, you know, I, I tweeted this the other day, but Switch launched with Breath of the Wild, Switch Lite launched with Link's Awakening. It's only right that you know this next Switch is going to launch with Breath of the Wild too. Like it's just it's going to happen. I originally thought it might be Metroid Prime Four. Like I remember when we did our predictions. I think it was at the start of the year. I was saying like, oh well, they could do Breath of the Wild two this holiday season. Then when they do an eventual Switch Pro, use Metroid Prime Four. You know that's such a graphical showcase with all the intricacies. That'd be great for four K. I think it's still well in development, but they did a couple weeks ago um, put up a job listing for a lead producer for the game. Of which there can be many, depending on what part of the game you're working on. So it's not like the game's not being worked on. But if they're putting up the listing in August, I don't think Metroid Prime 4 will be coming in 2021 alongside a Switch 4K. I think I think Breath of the Wild is now going to be the showcase game. But but to be fair to your Mario Zelda joke, Angel, there is um, other non-Mario Zelda things that Nintendo we know are working on. There's Bayonetta 3, there's Detective Pikachu, there's new Pokemon Snap. Apparently, Hal has gone on record saying they are working on another Kirby. Shocking, I know. Uh, although it hasn't been officially announced. Pikmin 4, if it exists. If Pikmin 3 Deluxe is really priming the pump, that could be next year. So, like, there is stuff that's more than just Mario and Zelda. But time will tell. 
Time will tell. Time will tell. I think the point is, is like we may be in a lull now, but there are good games to come, or at least games. I don't know if they're good, but there are games to come, and we will, of course, be covering all of them at that time. But for now, um, unless you had anything else, I think that pretty much does it for this episode. This weird uh-huh. Kevinless episode. But yeah, well, okay, well, we'll be. It was weird. Yeah, yeah like it. It, it reminded me of ye olden days when it was just us for the first time many years. Yeah, things are rougher. Yeah, it's a lot. I don't know how we Huh, our chemistry's so strange. <laughs> I don't know how anyone listened for it now. But uh yeah, we'll we'll be back next week with Kevin for our ninth quarantine chronicles. Uh Kevin's gonna tell us all about that insane decision he did to live stream for twenty four hours straight. So I'm very curious to hear about his uh why? degrading <laughs> I know why, mental well being over those twenty four hours. Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> and then, uh, but then the week after Quarantine Chronicles, if you don't want to hear about Kevin's crazy, uh, 24 hours, uh, we'll be back on September 13th with the next episode of the normal Ramtel podcast packed with who knows what news. Like, does Nintendo have more presentations up its sleeve? Are there six more shadow drops to come? Like, who knows? Time will tell. But, uh, you can make sure you don't miss it, all you out there, by following and subscribing to us. You can follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. You can subscribe to us on all the podcasting apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Pandora, Spotify, or on YouTube at RamNintendo.com. Uh, yeah, so you can you can uh, make sure you don't miss that. And you can also follow us individually. If, if, if there is breaking news, I'm sure at least one of us will tweet it. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And you can uh, follow Kevin, who wasn't here, at KVN Gomi. So I think think that just about does it normally kevin has the last word these days but he's not here so angel i might bestow unto you this high honor i got nothing <laughs>